Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Lovers out there, you're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig, and we're going to bring to you today some other wonderful foodstuffs that um, will fill your little mouth with joy. We're going to start off with um, a company we seem to have a connection to over a long period of time, and you'll understand when you listen to the interview we're conducting with Robin Pearl of Sun Shrimp. We're really excited to be talking to Robin Pearl, of, uh, head of Sun Shrimp. Your, your title exactly, I'm not quite sure. I was your chief sh- chief shrimper. What is your title, Robin? Yeah, you know, I, I call myself the chief shrimper because um, I do it all. And uh, um, I have a, a, a large team that, uh, that does many things, but uh, I'm the chief shrimper and you know, ultimately responsible for pretty much everything that goes on and uh, make sure uh, things are done the right way. So, Well, that's your role. <laughs> you know, your background is so impressive, and I recall that I interviewed you or somebody in your organization, a previous organization, which was called Ocean Boy, and that was a long time ago, and you said that the company eventually... After you left, it went bankrupt, right? Right. So I I, I got first uh, equated to uh, shrimp farming in uh, or introduced to shrimp farming in 1999 and uh, learned of the opportunity that uh, America you know needs more shrimp. And so I said, okay, uh, I, I was uh, uh, looking to do a new business and I sold the business I had and started out to um, found a company named Ocean Boy Farms and my partner David McMahon. And very, very quickly, we were built into a very large uh, uh, company uh, located in the middle of the state of Florida. Um, yeah, that's what I always thought interesting. That, the right. Landlock, yeah, no, yeah. It, was, it was truly unique. It was, it was unique in the sense that we had, uh, were growing uh, marine shrimp in, in basically very low salinity water in high densities, doing it biosecurely, and, and, and uh, using a heterotrophic type of system, which was all pretty new at the time. And so... Uh, um, we were actually quite successful in the initial years, and that's why uh, that's that's both the reason why uh, <laughs> it didn't last for me because uh, we 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 raised a lot of money. I lost control um, and uh, um, find myself arguing with the chairman, and I said, "Okay, I was out." And so I moved yeah. on and did other things in my life. But the shrimp is always something that stuck with me. And um, 2013, I started this company. Okay. Yeah, and I know what, what you mean about this investors thing. That's the thing that nobody really realizes about. 
I had that with the restaurant a long time ago. So, yeah, you lose control. <laughs> well, you, you lose control, and, 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 you know, generally, I mean, the, the only times you have a problem with investors is if, if things are not going well or if things are going really well, because then everybody gets greedy and, and it just, uh, it's, 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 it's a fine balance. And, uh, look, you know, you need investors because, um, uh, to make these things happen. So we're, you know, I've been pretty fortunate, but I learned a lot of things at that first uh, farm on how to raise money, what to do, what not to do. And, uh, um, yeah, learn from it. And, uh, this time around much, much, did a much better job. Now, I, I, have the, I have the impression that, much of the shrimp that's bought and sold and eaten in the United States actually came from shrimp farms that were in Asia. But you say you, for you, Asia means something different. No, I mean, that's definitely true. So America, um, uh, actually, last year was a record for imports. And, you know, there's a lot of things that were kind of crazy last year due to COVID. But um, right. I believe uh, 92 or 93% ultimately of the shrimp that we uh uh, consumed in in America last year were imported, um, and so only six or seven percent came from the oceans. And generally, it's been around ten percent um, over the last uh, twenty twenty five years that the uh, wild catch, which is primarily in the Gulf of Mexico and on the uh, eastern seaboard, uh, supply shrimp for America. And unfortunately, you know, America loves shrimp. Um, and there's really no, the, the oceans cannot get more. The 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 the, the wild guys they're 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 catching what they can, and it's 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 it seems like a relatively stable fishery. Although over the last couple of years it has been in somewhat of a decline, uh, but uh, America has a voracious appetite for shrimp, so it's coming from overseas and primarily from Asia. Um, I think I believe last year 40% of our shrimp came from India, uh, about uh, 30% from Indonesia. Um, you know, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, uh, China, um, you know, those those are those are main suppliers and main growers of shrimp around the world. And you, you don't really know. The, the one thing that, that always struck me, you don't know where it's coming from. Um, I mean, when I buy American wild shrimp, I'm thinking that it's coming from American waters. Is that true or not? You know, there's a, there's there's all kinds of um, uh, it, it it should be true, right? When something is labeled as American, it should be. And uh, uh, but there's there's always these exposés of all these things where even you know seafood gets gets mislabeled, uh, even the species gets mislabeled. Uh, you know, especially with whitefish, and you think, oh, you're buying some soul, and it ends up being something different. I do. And, and there's a lot of games being played now. Oh, like scallops, um, you know, for example. The, yeah. the, the the thing is the the um, I believe it's the um, USDA. They they passed some laws not too long ago that said that you have to list country of origin, but they conveniently exempted uh, processed foods. So, you know, oh. when you when you go into your supermarket, it says, and you buy some raw shrimp, it it will say product of Vietnam. But then when you when you go somewhere else and you buy the same shrimp that may be, you know. With some garlic butter on it, or or scampi, it, it it just says made in America because maybe it got packaged in America, but obviously right. the shrimp did not come from America. So there, there, you know, there's a lot of games being played, and um, you know, people are finding out though. People are people are, are becoming aware that uh, this is a major issue, and and, and really. You know, it's, it's, listen, COVID has been a horrible thing for our country and basically a horrible thing for the world, but there's been some lessons. There's been some lessons. And one of the lessons for us Americans is that, you know, oh, wait a second, all our vaccines are coming from Asia 
and, and we cannot make our own uh, face masks and we cannot do this and we cannot do that and it's like you find yourself really much beholden on that and and you know even uh, I think it was like a week ago because of the Ukraine crisis that uh, Indonesia said listen all palm oil is going to stay inside this country and palm oil is used in many many uh, uh, many different I items know. and so all of a yeah. sudden we find ourselves dependent you know we're, we're dependent on other countries and they're they're going to protect their own self-interest so america is importing 90 percent of its seafood and it's been this way for many years and so mm-hmm. you know these countries are getting wealthier and so we need to find a way to do it better the, the the oceans cannot supply what we need and so we need to find a way to to uh, uh to grow at least more of it than than we can can we replace it tomorrow no it's going to take a long time but you know america is an, an amazing country that's that that has amazing farmers i mean we're so self-sufficient when it comes to our foods but but seafood is just a glaring exception and and you know um uh, a lot of people have tried this is not easy but it can be done and it needs to be done and um uh, i'm proud to be part of that effort well that's good and so y- your main mission is uh, to, to to farm successfully farm shrimp that's going to feed right. Americans. Is that the, the thing, or you do global marketing? Well, so the, so the, there's a couple different things going on. So our main mission here is uh, absolutely that that we want to grow lots of high quality, uh, highly nutritious, chemical free, preservative free, just a great tasting shrimp. Um, and and people are always shocked when they try our shrimp and they say, "Wow, I can't believe that it uh, doesn't have the it, it it actually tastes good." And it's it's you know we tend to uh, slather our shrimp with uh, cocktail sauce or or you know lots of breading or coconuts and all this stuff. But when you just scrape all this stuff away and you just eat the shrimp that's underneath it, you're like, "Well, oh, this this is actually not that good." I mean, it's 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 shrimp, but it's a uh, you know has a chemically taste to it. And and unfortunately, everybody's using all these preservatives and they're using these things that uh, uh, that uh, make the shrimp gain weight. So if you have a uh, a pound of shrimp and they they soak it, um, uh, all of a sudden it's 1.2 pounds, and that's 20 percent more. So you know there's a, all these games are being played, and so there is room for a, a real good product that is uh, that is clean, that is sustainably grown, that doesn't damage the environment, um, and that that is, is is wholesome and nutritious and can taste excellent. And that's kind of what we're doing, and it's it's really been. Um, uh, it's been a journey, but uh, people are starting to react. And, you know, we're selling every single shrimp we're producing, um, and we're looking to grow. We're looking to expand. So we finally have unlocked this uh, this thing because it's not easy to grow shrimp. It's very difficult. And Yeah, I was going to lo- say, how do you do it? I mean, where was it? We were in California, and we visited. What kind of a farm was it? Was it... Um it was some kind of seafood rabbit, you remember? Yeah, it was the abalone farm. Yeah, we visited oh, abalone, an abalone okay. farm. It's tedious. Sure. I mean, you work from those little things. <laughs> it's a lot of work. So, so we have, uh, we, you know, part of part of the problem in America is that there's really not a big support industry. So, if I'm in Vietnam and I want to go buy uh, baby shrimp or post larvae, they're called, and I want to source them, I probably have 20 different hatcheries to uh, to be able to go to go in and you know if i need to buy feeds there's a lot of different feeds and uh, processing lots of different processing companies so there's many many opportunities in america we don't have that so we have to really become vertically integrated and and have our own uh hatchery we and now we have our own genetics as well we have our own processing obviously Tell we have our own production the genetics involved what is your own genetics you mean you breed them 
Right. So, so you know, if if you um, if you look at at all all agricultural crops around uh, today, they they have been genetics genetically selected for many years. I mean, they've been domesticated yeah. for many years, and so if you look at chickens today, they grow much faster than they used to. Uh, same thing with pork. Same thing with beef. I mean, cows give you know lots more milk than they used to. Uh, chicken give many more eggs, and and so there's there's been a lot of genetic selection, and unfortunately, when it comes to shrimp. It's it's kind of been neglected, and um, um, you know people have been choosing uh, shrimp that grow faster because you know you want a shrimp to grow fast, obviously. But it's pretty easy to do. You go to a pond or you go to a tank and you take the big shrimp and you say, okay, this is my mommy and daddy for the next generation because they're big <laughs> and presumably they grow fast. But what unfortunately what's happened over over the, over over the years is that this process uh, does lead to faster growing shrimp, but you're giving up a hardiness trait and um they they don't they don't handle the stresses of of being uh being aquacultured and so uh or they uh or or any kind of adverse conditions and and in america we don't have this issue but in asia and a lot of other places there's there's disease issues there's many many wild diseases out there and that will devastate a crop and that's why all these people are using all these antibiotics and using all these chemicals all these Loaches and potions to try to keep their shrimp from uh, from dying, and you know it's just uh, it's not a good method. So one of the things we we had to do when we started this uh, new company, Sun Shrimp, was that we had to develop better genetics because even in our own farm where we don't have issues with disease, we saw uh, very very high mortalities in our shrimp. They were just not able to live, and and so we decided to do this big genetic program. And uh, you know, in addition to being uh, having the mission to grow lots of shrimp for America. We are we are uh, now the leading ge- shrimp genetics company in the world, and and um, um, helping farmers all all over the place uh, being able to grow shrimp without having to use the chemicals, without having to use all this water exchange, without the antibiotics, and just just get a get a better product. And so, um, um, do you it's, do it's, this with you, just like uh, who is the guy with the genetics <laughs> with the peas? <laughs> listen, I. Remember, I'm the chief shrimper. I, I just, uh, I'm not, I'm not that smart. You know, there's a these geneticist and all these biologists and all these, these people are, are on a much higher level than I am. But uh, I've been fortunate that, you know, one of the things that makes us successful, I'm able to attract the right people and and um, uh, let them do their job and and just, you know, my my job is basically to provide them with everything that they need in order to do their job and then get out of their way. And uh, right. that's what we have here. And so it's it's been been kind of like a, a a growing family where we're close to I think we're around close to 100 people working here and so it's uh, wow. uh, and people want to come work here because they see us doing it the right way we're growing we're we're we're, we're succeeding where it's it's I'm telling you and it's 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 difficult what we're doing is really difficult and um, yeah, I mean we know, interviewed an apple breeder and and he said that he would be lucky to actually taste the end result of his apple breeding because it took him 20 years of eating apples all day long from different trees. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah. It takes a certain kind of personality, Robin, I think. I, I guess, again, I, uh, I I think I'm just lucky to be the right person at the right place at the right time and, and, and the right circumstances. And, you know, what, whether it's the chicken or the egg, whatever it is, we were able to take advantage of our position and, uh, and make something of it. And, and, um, um, you know, we're we're 
uh, we're helping people all, all across America, with our, uh, all, all across the world with our shrimp. And, and, you know, we're shipping the sun shrimp uh, to many, many customers all around uh, America and getting uh, – one of the things I'm really proud of is, is, is the amazing reviews we're getting from people because our shrimp are not inexpensive. They're, uh, you know, I, I, we cannot compete with a farmer in India um, oh, and, no, no, and no, no, you know no. we can we just can't compete with it, China, and so yeah. you know it it costs more to do it in America. But you know if the product is better and if the product tastes better and the product is more wholesome, then generally Americans are willing to do that. Now, you know, listen, uh, some people will not are not willing to pay for it, and there's a, there's plenty of shrimp for you available. But you know until we get to this size where we just uh, get the benefit of massive scale. You know, we, we have to target people that, that can afford to pay for this, but generally you get what you pay for, and it's, um, uh, uh, people, are, people are very happy. And, and, and if I may elaborate on this a little bit, so one of the things we did was um, we used to sell primarily to restaurants only because the chefs really value our product. And right. then when COVID hit and all our restaurants exactly. shut down, they said, okay, now we got to do something different. So one of the things is we, we said, okay, let's go after the consumers directly and did this whole consumer direct campaign. And boy, has that been successful because a lot of people are ordering our shrimp and all of a sudden it's, it's all over the United States. And, and the one thing about when you're dealing directly with consumers, um, you better do things right because if you don't, you know, there's a hundred different ways you can leave me a bad review or, or say, don't, don't, don't dare spend money with this guy. He's a, you know, he rips you off or the shrimp are no good. Right. And the, and the opposite has happened. We have thousands of five-star reviews. We have, you know, a huge amount of people reordering from us month after month, and they're really appreciating what we're doing, and they're and they're really enjoying the product. So we know we're onto something good. So it's pretty exciting. Now, where exactly are you? Could you sort of run us yeah. through how you set up a shrimp farm, and where are you? Because when I did so, Ocean Boy, I didn't think that they had – they were not on the water. They were in the middle of the state. Right. So the – the original shrimp farm was Ocean Boy, which was uh, uh, based in the center of Florida, right below Lake Okeechobee. Um, you know, kind of if you take a, a, a straight line between Fort Myers and Palm Beach, it's kind of right in the middle there. Um, this current farm is on a place called Pine Islands, which is also um, uh, south of Lake Okeechobee, but it's it's near Fort Myers. Actually, uh, we have two two neighbors next door. One is Sanibel, and the other one is Captiva. And those I are pretty know well known by very well. Yeah, there you go. So we're we're one island over, and and you know in, in shrimp farming, one of the one of the things is you need uh, what shrimp need. They need warm temperatures, and so when you look at America, you know uh, there are a lot of warm places, but not year round, and so. By being here, having this warm temperature, it really helps us. And and you know we call them sun shrimp, um, you know. But there's there's a couple of reasons why they're called that. It's it's not just because we're in Florida and we have lots of sunshine. It used to be the sunshine state. Um, I guess we still are. Um, but anyway, it's um, we're using the sun to help heat the water and to uh, uh, take uh, make use of what we call the greenhouse effect. So these these animals are grown in, inside greenhouses, so we can keep nice nice warm weather year-round and stable temperatures for the animals. And then lastly, we use uh, the sun to help with uh, natural productivity inside the ponds itself. So we, we actually grow lots of algae, lots of bacteria, lots of natural life that the shrimp they see in, in the real world, and it helps create a full balance system that, that gives the gives the shrimp all the nutrients and the, uh, uh, the minerals and, and, and even 
you know, people always comment, how do you how do you get your shrimp so red? They think we're doing something artificial, but no, it's all the natural pigments that are in the algaes that are in the uh, omega threes. All the stuff that's getting um, uh, naturally produced by just having the sun interact with it, and um, um, that's the reason why they're called sun shrimp. Do you have to keep moving these shrimp, like they did at that abalone farm, or where I, we saw this process? You have to keep moving them from one pool to the next one to the next one as they get bigger. Yeah, so generally, I think uh, most shrimp here they 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 get moved twice. Um, uh, once, uh, obviously, when they're born, they um, uh, they're born in our in our maturation facility, and they go into a larva culture uh, where they spend uh, the first 21 days. So when the eggs hatch, uh, about 21 days later, it's considered a what we call a, a PL10, post larva 10. So they're they're, they're uh, at a at an age and a size that they can be stocked in a commercial grow out. So from there, from that larva culture room, they'll go into a what we call a nursery tank. And generally, they'll spend 30 to 45 days in this nursery tank. Um, and, and then from there, they'll get transferred into the grow tank. And then, you know, 90 days, 120 days after that, they're ready for harvesting. Really? That's yeah, quicker it's than a fast thought, process. actually. Yeah. Yeah, generally, I mean, it, it also depends on what size you want to grow. You know, it's it's uh, it's easy to grow a small shrimp. It's a much, much more difficult to grow a larger one that obviously takes longer. Yeah, was, um, the, um, you know. Your, your assistant yep. told me that basically the most calls were for a certain size, not the jumbo, you know, which a lot of people would go after. You know, it's funny. So so one of the things is, you know, we, we're Americans. We like things big, and we always say, oh, bigger is always better. And, you know, it's not necessarily true. I mean, if you if you go to a fancy restaurant in New York and you, you want to buy that 40-pound lobster that, uh, that somebody's going to sell you, um, <laughs> yeah, you may look like... You may look like a hero, but that but that's going to be the toughest lobster you're ever going to have. And I so know. There's, there's, <laughs> we used to buy them when we were out in Long Island, uh, you know, over the summer. We we once bought a 40-pound lobster, <laughs> among other things. It was so big, it was it became like a pet. It sort of walked right. around the apartment. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So so there's a, there's a size. So one of the things that happens when uh, – uh, shrimp generally reach sexual maturity in, in five to six months, and their their taste, their characteristic just changes. So in order to have a large shrimp, it takes time. And, and you know, generally the larger shrimp you see, they're all going to be sexually mature, and they just, their their flavor profile changes. So we're, we're kind of focusing on the shrimp right before they get sexually mature, and they're just the largest size at that level. But, uh, um, you know, and, 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 you know, we have beautiful big shrimp in our hatchery and, and, you know, at the end of life, we cook them, but they're just, they're, they're nowhere near as good tasting as the, as the ones that we just harvest at the, at the optimum large size that, um, you know, right before they get sexually mature. And, uh, it's just a better, better tasting animal. And so it's a little smaller, uh, but still, I mean, you know, you, you go to a fancy restaurant, they give you a huge shrimp and you have to sit there and eat it with a fork and knife and cut it in. Oh, yeah, pieces. I know. And, and oh, by the way, it doesn't taste that good. It looks beautiful, but it doesn't taste that good. So, so I'm all about taste, and and you know more and more chefs are discovering that, and and, and you know it's it's running a restaurant, and you told me you ran a restaurant in the in the past. Yes. It is it's a very competitive industry, so you want to find a way to, you know, make your patrons say, wow, this is this is really fantastic, and so, you know, that's more and more chefs are finding that out, and and. Uh, um, 
um, yeah, that's why that's why we need to yeah. grow more shrimp. We we just don't have enough. Now, um, how, how do you prevent diseases? You you control water quality. You don't do antibiotics and all those things. Oh no! I no, mean, no. the so, complaints that I've heard about farmed anything is um, this. The thing that sometimes some of them escape, you know, and they're not really prepared to survive in the wild, but they can spread disease to other um, seafood. Well, you know, I think I think seafood, farmed seafood, you know, it has received a negative uh, negative uh, connotation in the past, and I think there was real reasons why that was probably correct and uh, deservedly earned. But I think that um, just like. Uh, other foods. I mean, basically every single one of your foods is harvested, uh, is 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 uh, farmed, and so why why wouldn't seafood be able to be farmed? And so you know, like everything else, there's good ways of doing it and bad ways of doing it. You know, it's it's uh, you know, I I like a wild piece of fish, but you know, if it's if it's been treated or if it's been mislabeled or it hasn't been done, then then probably it's not as enjoyable as it should be either. And and uh, or drug around in a net for three four hours before it's raised to the surface. And you know, so there's 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 good and bad things on everything. And you know we we trying to uh, set a new standard for 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 the shrimp. And so one of the things that makes our shrimp so much better than everybody else um, is uh, well, number one, we don't use any chemicals. We don't we don't we don't need to. Um, we, when we harvest shrimp, we have an ice vat right next to the tank, and they, you know, between being caught and being dipped in that ice water is maybe 20 seconds. And so, you know, and then the minute they hit that ice water, it, it chill kills the animal, but it also helps uh, stop all the, all the, you know, processes inside their body, and, and it starts preserving the shrimp without having to use preservatives, just using cold. Really? And we keep that animal cold, and that animal will ship, you know, within – uh, well, definitely that same day, it will go to a customer, and so, you know, there, there, it, it doesn't sit around forever. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, um, it, it just, it, it, the, 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 the time between harvest to, to ending on someone's plate is, is very, very quick, and that, and you can taste that. I mean, it just makes a big difference. Now, you asked me about disease. We're considered what's called a um, uh, SPF, specific pathogen-free. Facilities, so we have no no diseases. We've never had any diseases, and the only way we can get disease is if we actually bring it to the farm, and that's why we have very very strict biosecurity measures. Um, people always ask us, "Oh, can we get a tour? Can we do this?" And we're 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 said, "I'm sorry, we're locked down." And you know, we're looking at. There's actually a couple of videos coming out in the next couple of months that show our process because it's not that we want to hide what we're doing, but we just need to protect ourselves to make sure that we don't bring anything in into the farm that we don't want. Right. Well, um, so you, you've pretty well pinpointed, as a result of the pandemic, a broader than, than restaurant market. And how do you go about marketing your, your product? So, you know, we've done uh, – um, we, we have a – we get a lot of word of mouth. We, we do a little social media. We, we have a lot of uh, chefs that are using our product that are starting to come back and they're opening up again. And they talk – they speak with each other and uh, – yeah, it's kind of kind of like that. We don't have a huge amount of supply, so we're we're always kind of on a fine balance where you know meeting what the customer needs and what we can grow. And you know, by by offering a fresh product, we need to we need to really work on making sure that we have this balance that we have lots of uh, lots of smaller customers. Like be, before, we used to ship Costco. 
And Costco is I mean fantastic company to sell to, uh, but we could never meet their their uh, their quantity. So they always wanted more, they always wanted more. We just never had enough. And so we're better off at our current stage, you know, serving you know 500 restaurants, and then okay, one one chef decides to stop one week, or to, it it doesn't affect the overall thing, and we're able to make everybody happy. Um, so that's kind of the the, the strategy that we have. Like individuals can go on your website and just order something. I mean, any quantity. Yes, we we have we have a web store. If you go to www.sunshrimp.com, very simple, and you know we have. Um, um, you you have the ability to order. We have we have our shrimp in three different forms, and it's kind of unique as well. So uh, we offer whole shrimp, which is uh, uh, not not easy to get in this country. Uh, but then we also offer a new new product, which is peeled the veined, uh, and we're using an automatic yeah. system to do that. Which is I, uh, I was surprised because Deb Brown <laughs> was telling me about that you shell and devein at the same time. What what is yeah, that? Yeah, it's a new system. Like? What does it's a, it's a, it's look a, like? It's well, it's it, it's a conveyor line with a bunch of different uh, different different parts that are, you know, pulling and pushing and 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 uh, doing things to the shrimp. But it's a uh, it's American innovation and it's fineness because, you know, people have been trying to figure out how to make a machine that can automatically peel in the vein the the head of shrimp and 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 do a good job of it and. Uh, you know, this company is Minnesota, a company, shout out to Shrimpworks. They've done a fantastic job of developing a platform that can do that. And, and, you know, frankly, you know, in America, in order for us to, to try to compete, in order for us to lower our pricing, um, you know, we need this kind of automation because we just don't have the labor rates that they have in Asia and, uh, or your Central America. So, you know, it's this type of technology, this type of, type of equipment that, uh, gives us a chance into the future. Well, I, I find it absolutely wonderful, and um, I, you know, I've become a huge cheerleader of yours. Um, again, listeners, to, to get the shrimp, you, you go to the website, and they have an online market store, and it's sunshrimp.com, and um, it's you you bring you send it in dry ice, but but in fact, if if somebody orders it. And they they want to uh, keep it longer, um, then they can freeze it. They can freeze it. Oh yeah, as it's absolutely. So we definitely recommend. See, the thing is, when you when you you know frozen seafood, um, you know. Uh, there's nothing wrong with frozen seafood as long as it's only been frozen one time. It's every single time you freeze and defrost something, that's when you lose a lot of the natural juice and yeah, a lot right. of the natural flavors. So, so when we send this to you, it's going to be, it's, it's shipped fresh. It will, it will freeze during, 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 uh, transport. And at that point, you can decide whether you want to keep it frozen when you receive it or you just put it in your refrigerator. It will, it will, it will be ready to cook that night. And so that's really been working well. And, um, um, you know, and, and, and the new trays that we're having, it, it, it allows us to pack the shrimp in, into just uh, two servings, which is enough for one, for, for you know, a husband and wife and, uh, uh, or, you know, two, two, two people to, to cook this and have a nice dinner and have a really high-quality protein. You know, for years, I used to take shrimp home to my wife, and we and had a bag, and it was always leaking, and it always had smells to it and everything. <laughs> These I things, had that on these a bus are, once. <laughs> <laughs> these things are easy. You just stack them in the, in the freezer, and whenever we're like, okay, let's we'll just grab a package, and, and boom, and then 10 minutes later, you have dinner ready. And it's just, uh, uh, it, it, it helps preserve, helps protect, 
And uh, it's it's just again another way that we're trying to do things differently than what was done before because um, you know we need to find new ways and we're excited about some new products coming out. Uh, hopefully in the you know in, in by the fall we we, we hope to have a, a shrimp with uh, with organic butter. Uh, we hope to have a, uh, a smoked shrimp that we're gonna that we're gonna bring to market. So there's there's a well, lot I've of different things had that we're smoked that we're shrimp. You know, I know, and and, and the guy but... came to me, and, and the the guy came to me, and, and he says, "Let me try it." I'm like, because I, I said the same thing. I said, "Come on, that's not, you know, I love smoked salmon, but uh, never had smoked shrimp." And when he came back with what he what he made, it was like we were just blown away by it. So there's people that are gonna, it's it's amazing. It's and well, it's fun. Well, that's you know, off your exciting. list for that one. I'd like to taste that one. So, <laughs> so when that comes well, you'll out, be on our list. So. Absolutely, right. well, absolutely. Robin Pearl, I mean, I think you're genius here. And um, Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just a lucky guy that, that's been, <laughs> been able to surround himself with really good people that make me look like a genius, but no, far from it. But uh, um, we're, we're all excited. We're all having a good time, and it's it's, it's fun to do this. And it's it, there's a real need, and we're doing good, and we're growing food, and it's and it's enjoyable. And, and you know, when I when I see a fancy chef making a post, and, oh, we got sunshine, it's like, I'm so proud of that, and it's it's, it's really you know it's it's really really fun. So um, so yeah, um, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, and and again, oh well, uh, I, I love talking yeah. to you. I mean, it's it's sort of a link in the past for us too. It seems not not right, that many right. years ago, but it certainly was. Again, exactly, listeners, exactly. keep this product in mind called Sun Shrimp, and uh, you'll be really happy you did. <laughs> Thanks again, Robin. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You guys be great. Continuing along with our Piscine, <laughs> I think is the word, theme, um, we're going to, <laughs> whatever, we're going to uh, follow up with Niles Fallon and, and his wonderful world of um, small thin fish called Minnow World, uh, equally delicious. There you go. Oh, here we go. We're we're talking to Niles Fallon of Minnow World, <laughs> and uh, uh, tell us, Niles, what exactly is Minnow World? So Minnow is a project that my friends and partners uh, Nick, Leah, and myself um, launched in early early this year, 2022, um, and we focus on canned seafood from around the world. So we partner with different canneries that um, we really love and appreciate, and we import uh, different tins from them. So at at the moment, we have uh, small sardines from Spain, cod liver from Iceland, and wild Alaskan sockeye salmon. Um, And yeah, our focus is to work with canneries who are working with sustainable, traceable seafood, uh, using a lot of um, kind of hone techniques. You know, some of our tins are packed by hand or they're using uh, kind of traditional preservation techniques. And, um, yeah, that's, the, that's our focus is kind of working with um, coastally sourced uh, preserved seafood. Well, I mean, I, I happen to love tinned seafood or preserved seafood, and, and your product is very good. Uh, what did we try now? We had the salmon. We had the uh, cod liver, which was not my favorite because <laughs> <laughs> memories of, of from childhood. And, and the wonderful sardines, which are they're, – they're very nutritious, these fish, aren't they? 
these small fish. They are, yes, for sure. I mean, especially during the winter, they're a great source for vitamin D, um, but they're packed full of great sources for protein and iron, um, not to mention, you know, all the great uh, fish oils that are really helpful too. Now, the U.S. used to be an enormous producer of canned seafood, right? Am, am I right in thinking? You're correct, yes. Um, both both of our so coastlines, the, the, the east and the west the, coast used to be... Go ahead, sorry, I was that. Oh, I was saying, yes, yeah, both the east and west coast used to be littered with canneries. Um, kind of every inlet had several of them on there. Um, and, you know, over the years, a lot of the, you know, as, as the trade the industry changed, a lot of those canneries started becoming larger, more industrialized. Um, and so over the years, they, you know, became fewer and fewer and bigger and bigger. Um, but they also started to change their ethos a little bit. You know, they really used to be based around when a fish run would happen. They were hyper-seasonal um, and they were all about preserving seafood at, you know, the top of its season when it was at its finest. And the American canning industry really went a different direction over the years of becoming more industrialized, um, becoming more about thrift, cheaper products. uh, Is that what the difference is then, huh? I mean, I I never understood why uh, the American stuff is so awful, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that, I mean that's why they they take the cheapest cuts, or uh, you know they'll they'll take best parts and sell it fresh or frozen, and put kind of the off cuts or the damaged pieces or the cheaper pieces or the not so good pieces in a can. Whereas the European tradition is still held on to putting the best sardine catch in a can and kind of praising it and celebrating it, um, and that tradition is still very well you know, very alive um, in Europe yeah. in particular, where a lot of these cans, including our sardines, are still packed by hand. Oh, wow. And uh, the, the Spanish are particularly good at this, right? Yeah, the, the Spanish they, and the Portuguese on, are very they, they seem to be on top of their. <laughs> they seem to be really on top of their game. That's true. Now, is there really a place called Canary Row? Sure. There is, which at this point is more of a tourist destination than anything. Yeah. There's not actually an operating cannery there anymore, um, but it, you know, it, it's called Cannery Row because it used to have so many exactly. canneries lined up uh, on the wharf there. Um, but yeah, now there's, you know, the best you get from it is a, you know, it's a good museum there, but that's about it. And this is in Monterey, right? Correct. Yeah. And that's also where the the sea watch is, right? The Monterey Bay. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, I, I I wondered if the fat content had anything to do with not having a big a big market in the U.S. I mean, I, I'm saying this because. Um, at one point, I noticed that all of the trainers at my gym uh, ate on their diets ate tuna canned in water. Right. I mean, I think that 
a lot of trainers are always trying to seek a very cheap source of protein while also it being, you know, more natural and healthy for them. And in some ways, one could argue that a lot of the, you know, cans of tuna um, uh, do offer some health benefits and can be found for quite cheap and a really great source of protein. I mean, our tins offer that as well. Um, we're definitely working for more from more of a like esoteric, um, smaller batch, hand produced uh, type of cannery. So, our, you know, our prices are, you know, higher than say bumblebee tuna, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, we find, you know, we find that people who are thinking about uh, doing different types of body training um, really love canned seafood because of all of those benefits that it has. Yeah. And one year, I guess for Christmas, I bought the uh, gym, a whole big basket of just that canned tuna and water. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. I'm <laughs> sure they loved you for it. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, you have only um, you you have a bigger uh, portfolio of business. Tell us what that is. You said you were sitting currently at this moment in one of your restaurants. Yeah, so we started in restaurants. Um, by we, I mean my business partners, Nick and Leah and myself. Uh, we all met working in restaurants together, and we we met working in you know other people's restaurants when we were younger. And about uh, about six or seven years ago, we decided to open a restaurant together, which is called Hearts in Brooklyn in Bed Stuy. Um, and then the next year, we opened a seafood restaurant that, you know, really kind of has a nod to coastal Spain and Portugal. Uh, that one is called Cervos in the Lower East Side in Manhattan. And then huh. about three years ago, we opened a rotisserie chicken and wine bar in Brooklyn called The Fly, which is where I'm sitting having this interview at the moment. Why is it called The Fly? Uh, well... At our first restaurant, we had a cocktail called Mosca de la Fruta, the fruit fly. Okay. It was a margarita-based <laughs> cocktail. And we, you know, we always loved that name. And we, you know, we, when we were building the place out, we kept, you know, just referring to it as Mosca um, as a, like, easy <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, we hadn't figured out the name yet. Um, and then as we got closer to opening, you know, it just kind of turned into the English word of the fly, and it just sort of stuck. But... Um, but yeah, it's kind of just a fun, big, airy, um, you know, nice high energy rotisserie chicken wine bar, just like a nice fun neighborhood spot. You know, you re you mentioned Mosca, and it reminds me of the first time I was in Italy as a student uh, in Florence, and we stayed um, with this um, family. One of the professors was at the University of Florence. And um, I had a straw hat, and and I found that something was gnawing on it. Now this is this very, a very elegant Renaissance um, villa, and um, I, so I, but I called up the, the butler and I explained that there was a grand mosca because I'm thinking mouse. I didn't want to say rat. <laughs> mosca must be pretty good. And then I'm looking up and he's looking. And he's, <laughs> I'm looking down, and he's looking where the hat was, and he's looking up and around. 
and, and, uh, and I'm saying so big, so big. I've been just speculating with my hands. He was rather astounded. <laughs> That's great. Oh, dear. So I, every time I see that word, it takes me back to that. Um, well, you know, I mean, I, the idea, I, fortunately, I was pretty young when I opened a restaurant. It was the most foolhardy thing I ever did in my life. <laughs> I think that's yeah, well, part of you your know, training, the, just having to go and, and actually do it and then realize how bad it can be. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's there's also so many joyful things about it and, you know, being able to share food and wine with people on a nightly basis is a really great thing. Yeah. yeah. How 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 was the nasty pandemic? You, you said well, the, the pandemic is still in existence, so that's pretty good. Yes, they all made it. We're still here. Um, it was hard, you know, as it was for everybody. But you know, we had been in some ways it, you know, helped us launch Minnow uh, maybe sooner than we had anticipated. Um, yeah. It's been an idea that's been on the back burner for us for many years that we've always talked about, um, and it wasn't really until we, you know, when we closed our restaurants at the beginning of the pandemic, we converted some of them into shops uh, where people could come and they couldn't eat with us anymore, but they could come and buy a lot of the food that we prepared, and we would pack it up into quarts and pints and we had fresh bread and bottles of wine for takeaway. Um, nice. We were really helping people cook at home. And so we kind of were thrust into this retail mindset. Um, and we, we were also selling a lot of tin seafood because we, you know, we always use anchovies and sardines and things like that in our restaurants. And, and so it was pretty natural for us to start, you know, selling those things like a little grocer to our, to our guests to, to take home and enjoy um, and so that really kind of um, accelerated the launch of Minnow, where we were like, this is a really good time to do this. Like, we, we, we started to turn those shops back into restaurants, and we really loved the aspect of being in people's homes and being in their kitchens and the idea of having a little part of our restaurants in their pantry um, really kind of coincided with us launching Minnow and wanting to kind of, you know, stay relevant in that, that way and stay in people's home and, and be a part of their, you know, at-home cooking and things like that. Yeah, but, you know, you don't produce any of the seafood yourself. You don't do any can, canning stuff. You buy from We don't. We, you know, in our restaurants, we, we do some preservation things with seafood, not canning, but for our menus, you know, we'll – We'll salt cure something to extend, you know, the age of it, or we'll um, poach and cure things in olive oil and things of that nature. But when we launched Minnow, we, you know, this is such an old tradition of canning, and there are canneries around the world who do such a good job. And what we loved about partnering with those canneries in different parts of the world was that, we, you know, here in New York, we could be working with New York fish, like fish from local waters, which we do in our restaurants. But we really like the idea of, you know, having sardines from Spain that are caught in Spain at the height of season and mm -hmm. canned there or finding the most sustainable wild, 
you know, salmon, which is in Alaska, or, you know, we have a new product coming out later this year that is uh, trout from Denmark, and that was really exciting. So, oh, wow. you know, part of it is our love for travel and our love for visiting these places. Part of it is, you know, that each place does not only the preservation a little differently, like the trout in Denmark, they smoke it first, um, whereas, you know, the the you know, a different cannery might do a different type of application in one area uses uh, olive oil in another part of the world, like Alaska, that doesn't have an olive tree in sight. They just pack it with its own, you know, juices in the can and, and there's no, there's no water oil added. Um, so we kind of like the different culinary traditions around the world. Um, and also the expertise, you know, these canneries, a lot of them have been doing this for, you know, almost a hundred years. And it wasn't something that we wanted to try and recreate in New York. We really wanted to lean on the expertise of these canneries and bring in products that maybe aren't available in New York right now. You know, the sardines and salmon are, are more common. Cod liver was something that was hard to find in New York. Um, you know, the smoked trout in a can is something we haven't seen in New York. So we're, we're hoping that as we grow, we're also able to bring in um, products that you don't typically see in the U.S. Did you That's come? Great. Have you ever come across a fish? We 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 get it from Wolf Fish in Boston called Chalk Stream. I don't think and I'm it, familiar with that. And it and it's it's farm raised in the in the county of Southampton, near near where the Queen Marys and all the other cruise ships go. Uh-huh. But there are about uh, two rivers, and they have a tradition of chalk stream trout. Chalk, chalk being a significant part of the geology of the area in which they live, in which they live and work. Uh-huh. Good fish, very good fish. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, that's we, great. We, I'll have we, to look into that. We've we've had it both we've had it both fresh and smoked. Yeah, the smoking so different in England, though. I mean, it's so light. You know, it's, right? It's different product. You know, the best canned tuna, I, I, I think, um, American canned tuna, was I used to have the name of um, a fisherman, and um, and he would catch the tuna, and he would um, actually um, whatever you do on the ship. Right initially, and uh, and and then use excellent olive oil and stuff. The problem was, any time he wanted to order, he didn't have um, any computer capabilities or any kind of <laughs> messaging or anything, <laughs> and you could never get him on the telephone because he was out fishing. <laughs> The fish was really good if you could find it. Somebody referred yeah. us to him, but I, <laughs> I don't remember his name, but it was good stuff. It's the only really knock your socks off American tuna that I ever encountered canned tuna. Well, I mean, that one of the benefits of canned seafood is that its shelf life can be numbered in years. And so whenever you find something you really like, I suggest you just buy as buy much of it up as you can. <laughs> yeah. Of course, these how people you, always have limited catches, too. How do, you make all, how do you make all the connections? Obviously, you have a lot of lot of connections in order in order to well, drive I, your business. You know, 
Yeah, the the reason we launched with the three products that we did was because they were canneries that I that we had met over the years and had long-standing relationships with. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, some a lot of times it's through travel, and when we come across um, a product that we really like. Um, we start doing a little investigation to try and figure out who canned the product um, and start a dialogue with the cannery. Um, you know, I think at this point, anyone who knows us knows that we have a love for canned seafood, and so it's a common gift for us to get a can of seafood when somebody else goes traveling. They bring it back for us and say, hey, oh, nice. I you might like this. Um, so, and then, you know, there's also, there's trade shows as well. Um, Nick and I were just in Boston um, a couple weeks ago for a big seafood, international seafood trade show where a lot of um, canneries from around the world, in addition to, to people who have fresh fish and frozen fish and smoking yeah, fish. Yeah, well, this uh, woman, come. Yeah, the woman we're going to be interviewing, I think, next week um, has a, a company called Sun Sunfish, I think it is. Sun shrimp, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, sun shrimp. And she was at that conference and had connected with somebody who we also interviewed from Sterling Caviar. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I was, uh, that's great. I was listening to the Sterling Caviar one a little bit. Uh-huh. So, but anyhow, um, it, yeah, but I heard, it's, it's probably, um, I know there's certain trade-offs for farms as opposed to wild but you know we're going to be facing shortages everywhere and so it's nice to know that somebody is really pristine in their practices if they're doing farm raised fish and um yeah so anyhow and and apparently uh sun shrimp is they're they're, they're very advanced in in um husbandry if you call it husbandry if it's fish or shrimp, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure what you would call it at that point. <laughs> they, were the, they were the ones who were called Ocean Boy. And they then, were. Then, she was part of that group, yeah, and then, originally. And then they, they changed and moved to a different place in Florida. Yeah, and they're right on the water now, which they weren't before, which is interesting. They were landlocked before. We, we uh-huh. did have an int- we did have an interesting encounter a few years ago when remember when we were in Paso Robles for a wine event and yeah. uh, and we went to what's the point I'm trying to make I'm try, trying to get my, my trying to get my head around what I was going to say yeah, it, it'll, it'll it'll come to me oh it was the uh, abalone. Oh right! Oh yeah. Farm abalone. Yeah, and that that must be that must be quite popular. Yeah, that's definitely something we um we we've kind of been looking at a little bit. Would be really interesting to work with ourselves. And where would you look for production of canning? It? Well, I mean, there is some stuff on on the west coast. There's you know yeah. a lot of. It's very popular in Asia. Um, we haven't found a cannery to work with yet, but it, you know, even at this um, last trade show we were at, there were a lot of examples of it. Um, something that we don't see too much out here on the East Coast, um, mm-hmm. but a, a really interesting product. Yeah, wow. Australia is a very good source. 
Oh, at least they used to be. Whether whether they fished it all out, I, that's another question, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and that's part of our part of our project too is trying to find sources that are are working really sustainably. And sometimes that means something wild like the salmon, which has a you know has such a you know intense. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Flavor profile. It, well, well, just that the fishery is highly managed so that the stocks oh, okay. there are increasing every year. Um, but we also, you know, we have a new product that we're about to launch that are mussels um, in Escabeche from Spain. And those are farmed. And shellfish is one of those things that is one of the best. Oh, I love, I love tin mussels. They're, they're, I used to get, what's the name of that? There's one on the West Coast. Pacific Northwest that I used to buy. Oh, it's, um, the Iconi brand has one that um, it starts with a P. It's called um, uh, Peconic Oyster, uh, Peconic Mussels, maybe? No, I know the Peconic Snails. Our, 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 latest, our latest love, by the way, is Salmon, salmon Belly. Oh, yeah. The, the last... Yeah, I love them in a tent. They're great. Last batch we got was from Norway. No, from Norway. Norway, yeah. But, but we've also had it from a number of other places where there's a sizable investment in in producing farm farm raised salmon. There's a place called Loch Duarte, which is in the north of Scotland, mm-hmm. which appear, appears to be celebrated around the world for the quality of its farm-raised salmon. Well, the, the, we, we had some the other day, and we ate all of it. We ate all of it. I'm, I'm missing those mussels. We used to always have um, smoked mussels in our, um, in our, our larder. We don't have them anymore. Well, let's get back to Minnow World, uh, listeners. If you remember, that's the company we're talking about. <laughs> and uh, they have three products, and they're about to have four. Um, tell us, Niles, where, how do people get your, um, your tin fish? Everything is available on our website, and we'll ship it directly to your house um, at minnowworld.com. Uh, we are also, you know, in some smaller food grocers and boutique shops um, here in New York, um, in Illinois, California, you know, Oregon. We're slowly, you know, doing more wholesale with shops. So uh, mm-hmm. you can take a look on our website and see if there's a store near you that carries us. But you can also order everything direct from us on our website. Sounds good. And I hope you'll stay in touch with us because you're going to be expanding your um, your inventory and your product um, line in in very interesting ways. It seems to me. Yeah. yeah we'll sign me up for the abalone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got it. We're super good taste testers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm sure. <laughs> Anyhow, again, um, we're talking to Niles Fallon about his company and its products, Minnow World, and you find all the information you need to acquire it on his website of the same name. Niles, thank you so much for talking to us and um, wishing you great expansion. 
Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. are approaching our final track of today's program, uh, jumping, as it were, uh, from the sea or brook or whatever, water, um, to red sauce. I'm talking to David Habib and his uh, about his wonderful um, pasta sauce company, Yo Mama's Food. We're, we're talking to David Habib, who has a a product line called Yo Mama's Foods, which I've locked, I've watched you over a period of time, David, because it's such a great name, Yo Mama's. That's great. <laughs> uh, oh, thank but, you. Yeah. Now, um, as always, we're interested in the backstory to the product line and the company. Um, first of all, what? How did you? I understand you had some issues with pasta, um, ordinary pasta sauces, and some unpleasant gastro, gastro um, you know, what do you call that, issues, an upset tummy, I guess is an easy way to say it, uh, with the commercial sauces, but you never had that with your mama's sauces, so pick up the story and tell us about that. Sure, so... You know, really, our our inspiration and our brand name really says it all. You know, no no one makes better food than your own mama, and that's really our our inspiration behind everything that we do here at Yo Mama's Foods. Uh, so it's really focused on ingredients that your mom has in her pantry. Uh, if uh, if you know it's something that your mom doesn't knowingly or you know, commonly have in her pantry, then it's not something that we put into your your food. So that's really. Our, uh, our our main inspiration and, and, and how we go about developing items. Um, and to answer your, your question, too, so I used to work a lot in corporate America. You know, I was always, um, you know, eating out. I was always eating poorly and always just in, in a rush. So one of my go-to meals was pasta and pasta sauce. And uh, one of the most challenging side effects of that, as you were saying, was I just used to get horrible acid reflex, um, really bad heartburn too. Um, and then I started to look at some of the labels and started to see what's actually in a lot of these sauces. And, you know, it wasn't uh, things that my mom... It? Oh, it it's is. It's horrifying and, when you read the labels. <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and it wasn't things that, that, that my mom had in, in, in her pantry and... You know, she certainly wasn't adding in like five pounds of salt inside of a jar or a whole bunch of sugar. Um, she would just, you know, really simplify her sauces and everything was all focused on clean and fresh ingredients. So that was really the the start of, of our our company and, and, and that's ultimately the idea of how we got started. Now, what were you doing before that, David? Uh, I worked in Washington, D.C. Uh, for a company named Deloitte. Uh, I was working oh, sure, in their... Sure. <laughs> Peter yeah. came out of the same background with yeah, Touche Roth. And... I, I came out of Touche Roth. 
Awesome. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, it was it was a great experience. Uh, a wonderful company, uh, but I always kind of had that entrepreneurial itch and and knew that uh, you know I wanted to, to to try something on on my own. Well, now how how long ago is this? How old is this company? Uh, we will be five years old this Mother's Day. So this weekend we will officially be five. Uh huh. And what's on the menu? I wonder. I'm, I'm sorry. I said, and what? And what's on the menu for lunch on Mother's Day? Oh yes, uh, I will be taking my 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 mother out for for a brunch, so I won't be yes. be actually cooking. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty snaky, David. <laughs> no, um, tell me least, the least the least you could do is pay pay tribute by cooking for her. <laughs> of course, I should absolutely. Now, um, how many products do you have in your product line? Uh, we have 20 total SKUs. Um, most of our business is in pasta sauce, and then we also do salad dressings, condiments, and then we do oils as well. Okay. What kind of oils do you do? We have a avocado oil and a extra virgin olive oil. Oh, great. Um, yeah, that's, that gets to be pretty complicated. There's a lot of competition in, in that line, huh? Absolutely, yep. Uh, definitely a very saturated marketplace for that. Right. Um, and, uh, so you you really are marketing um, to the fresh people interested in fresh and clean ingredients. Is that the distinction of your mama? Yes, uh, we are. We are marketing to really anyone who's looking for healthy and delicious foods at a accessible price. Um, so, you know, our, our target customer is exactly that, you know, those who are just looking for uh, a good quality item, um, but that maybe they don't have eight hours to cook a really good sauce. So we do all of the cooking for them and, uh, you know, ultimately give them a wonderful, wonderful product. I'd love to know how long the learning curve is to, for somebody who comes from a, a, yeah, an accounting firm to a specialty food produce, producer. Yes, it was. Uh, I'd say the school of of, of hard knocks was was definitely uh, definitely <laughs> prevalent for me. Uh, you know, I didn't have really any experience in the CPG world or in packaged foods. I had no idea what a distributor was, uh, or you know how to ultimately um, get products inside of stores. Uh, but you know, I, I was very hungry to to learn, and I still am. And you know, you just kind of figure things out as you move along and you make a lot of mistakes. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the mistakes are expensive ones, so you have really, really tough, tough, tough learning lessons, but ultimately um, that, you know, allowed us to keep on pushing on and, and, and ultimately got us to, to where we are today. Well, you know, you, you have some really serious competition out there. Um, how do you handle the the, the competition of, of brands that are led by celebrity chefs, for example, because there are so many of them. Yeah, so for us, our, our, our brand is definitely clean. It's fun. It's catchy. And, you know, we, we pride ourselves on, on having really clean packaging and, and also being really clean on the inside. So 
where we're really different and how we're positioned differently from most uh, other premium brands or celebrity chef-driven brands um, is we have a really strong online presence, uh, specifically through through Amazon. Um, and that was really key to a lot of our growth and our success in the early days. Um, Amazon's very, very competitive and, and very challenging, but um, it, was a, it was a much different market in 2017 when we launched. So by launching um, and selling food back in 2017, we were able to build a lot of the infrastructure and the customer data and, uh, you know, really all of the important um, foundational pieces of growing a scalable business on the online side, which led us into strong retail growth. And then, of course, COVID happened in 2020, and, um, you know, more and more customers were cooking from home and still are today. You know, more and more customers were looking at their labels. Uh, you know, people wanted quality and, 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 and they wanted uh, a different product because now, you know, they weren't eating out as much or, or they weren't, weren't able to go take their family out for uh, a pizza or pasta night dinner. Um, so that really allowed us to scale rather quickly in 2020 because we had all the right infrastructure already built on, on these online channels. And, um, you know, we, we were definitely able to kind of ride this, this COVID wave. Um, and that really hasn't stopped at all. You know, I think a lot of people who didn't try us or who, uh, who had never heard of our brand back then who did try us, we were able to kind of trade up and, and, and really convert a lot of customers, um, that were maybe buying non-premium brands, uh, who were now trying something, you know, healthier and tastier and, um, something that ultimately made them feel better as well. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's 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 been interesting, but really, we're differentiated by uh, our presence on the digital side, and um, that really works hand in hand with our retail growth as well. I yep. wanted to explore something with you, David, because I'm, I'm we we hear all the time about the importance of pasta being made carefully and not manufactured so that the sauce will stick to the pasta when you when you when you've cooked it i'm wondering is is there something special that your mama does that helps in that process that makes the sauce really cling to somebody's your mama yes so it's it's really you know not adding any any additives or adding any type of, of artificial fillers. Um, so, you know, it, there's there's a very intense process when you're cooking, uh, you know, sauce and, and really trying to perfect it and, you know, trying to uh, ultimately allow it to last and sustain inside of a bottle when you're not using preservatives. Um, so for us, our, our preservative uh, is, is actually wine. Um, wine kind of helps us to... Uh, you know, bottle and, and produce uh, well, and it keeps our pH at a good level and keeps our shelf life um, also very, very good. And um, the wine actually breaks down the acidity of the tomatoes. And of course, all of the alcohol cooks off during the uh, cooking process as well. Um, so to answer your question on, on the pasta side, you know, having pasta that's al, al dente and, and keeping a little bit of the pasta water uh, inside of a pot when, when you're cooking pasta will actually help 
the sauce to stick better. Um, I think a lot of people drain most of their, their pasta water when they're cooking, uh, but you actually want to keep a little bit of it and, and use that as a nice mixture with the sauce, and that'll give you a really beautiful dish. Well, you reminded me of that right on your directions, you know, yes. not to drain it totally. I mean, most most sauces with their cooking directions or prep directions don't tell you that to reserve some of the cooking liquid. Yes, I mean, and 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 there's really that that pasta water is 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 very valuable. So if you're if you're cooking and uh, you want a good quality uh, pasta and pasta dish, you definitely want to save some of that that pasta water. Now, um, the the packaging of it, um, it's very simple and direct and very effective. Um, you you've put a lot of work into branding this this uh, product line. Um, did, are any of these recipes really related to your family traditions or anything? Yes. Uh, so a lot of them are, are, are grandma's recipes, and then those have been passed on to, to a mom and now have, have been passed on to all customers who consume our products. Uh, but really, you know, uh, it's, it's that less is more philosophy and, and really just simplifying what's in packaged food. So, if you go to the grocery store, you'll see, you know, just a bunch of gums and fillers and, you know, citric acid and lots of sodium and, and, and lots of sugar. And our approach is really just, you know, clean, fresh ingredients, uh, you know, keep it, keep it simple, uh, you know, make it taste really, really good. And um, that, that approach had, had ultimately stemmed into our packaging too. You know, I think the world is so product polluted and there's so many, so many products out there and especially in pasta sauce, you know, most companies and most labels, uh, look the same, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, your, your standard pasta sauce label with a, a photo of, of a tomato and some vines on there. <laughs> or and, the flag, uh, the Italian flag. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Probably or, or mother, probably somebody's mother too. <laughs> so, exactly. So you, so, you know, maybe it's, it's someone's mother or, or their grandmother. And, and, and that's really great. And, and that works for that type of customer. Um, but for us, we just, you know, we felt it was so cluttered and, and the whole kind of set of pasta sauce is just one big sea of red. And we really wanted to, you know, pop out and we wanted to create something that was different, something that was, uh, you know, um, gave this kind of uh, timeless element of 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 home, but also um, something that was relevant and clean and and modern enough for it to actually pop out on on the grocery shelf. Are you watching the program starring Stanley Tucci, all about all about him rediscovering Italian food? Oh, you know, I I have not seen that. I I should definitely watch that. I have been watching a fantastic program called the the Food That Built America. Um, it's on Roku or on on oh, Hulu. Yeah, it's a a History Channel uh, program. Really, really awesome. Um, goes through a lot of the different companies that uh, were developed during the Industrial Revolution, all the way to the fast food to to where where we are today. Uh, but another really good one in case you're you're interested. Oh okay. sure, sure. Now, p- people can get this um, off of your website. Yes, uh, uh, we do do direct to consumer sales through Shopify. Um, is 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 how our our website um, is is sold, and 
we also do, of course, Amazon, Walmart.com, Sam's.com. Um, if, if any of your, your audience is from Canada, you can find us on Natura Market or through Amazon. And then we're, we're in most major retailers now, about 13,000 stores nationwide. So wow. everyone from, from Whole Foods, Sprouts, Publix, Walmart, um, ATB, Central Market, Meyer, Albertsons, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of really great, well, great companies. I'd area. say you, you have a success on your hands, David. <laughs> Yeah. What is the website? Uh, our website is yomamasfoods.com, and it's Y-O-M-A-M-A-S-F-O-O-D-S.com. And when, when you wake up in the morning, do you sometimes pinch yourself and wonder, how did I get to be here? <laughs> you know, I wish I wish that I had time to, to pinch my, <laughs> myself. <laughs> I'm normally typically running from, from phone call to, to phone call or, or another meeting. But, um, you know, we have a, a wonderful headquarters here in, in Clearwater, uh, Clearwater, Florida. And um, it gives me great joy to come to work and, and to work with a really smart and talented team every single day. And then you started with the pasta sauces, and then you moved on to the salad dressings. Correct. Yep. Um, so, so pasta sauce was was really our initial launch, and then we did the salad dressings, and we launched with condiments uh, in January of 2021. Uh, ketchup, oh, barbecue so that's sauce. That's pretty new. You have ketchup yeah. too. Yes, uh, uh, ketchup, barbecue sauce, spicy ketchup, and um, we have a new condiment launching. Uh, this July um, that will also be uh, very very good. It's not a tomato based product, but some of your your uh, listeners, if they're interested, will will have to tune in to our website or our social media to see what our new item launch will be. So oh, you're not going to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you offline, but it's still, uh, okay. it's still in, in, <laughs> in in our our queue for for uh, a really fun fun launch. Well, you've you scaled up in quantity and volume now. I guess your next uh, in, in um, sale of the stores and to sell. I mean, so your next big thing would be new products, right? Absolutely. Yep. You know, I, I think uh, in today's challenging supply chain world, you know, uh, we're we're really focusing on on uh, on the, the majority of of our business, which is of course our current items, but um, innovation is something that's very important and uh, something that we'll we'll keep on uh, exploring as we grow into other other categories. Well, I'm just amazed to see how, how the specialty food has exploded. I mean, I'm, I guess we've been covering this for quite a long time, but um, I mean, they just keep adding categories. And, you know, oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And almost everybody has done something different beforehand, which is interesting. Absolutely. I mean, five five years ago, no one knew what kombucha was or what uh, you oh, know yeah. chick chickpea chips and uh, you know chickpea pasta. There's there's been so much interesting innovation, and I think uh, we're in this wonderful kind of renaissance movement right now in in a packaged foods. Well, I think it's a, wonder, it's, a, it's a wonderful Buy American story, and we're so glad to bring it to our audience. Thank you. Thank you so much, and, uh, you know, really, really appreciate you having me, and, you know, we are we are proudly made here in, in the USA, and, you know, 
definitely hope that we can we can keep on keep on growing in this great country too. Well, David Habib, I think another program um, in in the tin, as we used to say, <laughs> way back in the day. Uh, at any rate, that does it for us this week, and we invite you to join us once again next week, same time, same channel, same everything. And we're going to now say bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.